there's levels of of ways to see things. And I think we try to design stuff that is really that when you can say, yeah, I've, I've heard about how other people do it, but I did it the best way. Well, I mean, that's one of the coolest tours I've probably, <laughs> I've probably heard about, to be honest. Yeah, I would love to go when we go back. Remember what happened last time? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Welcome to On Arrival, the Traveler's Podcast. We're your hosts, KT and Jordan. Throughout our 20s, we've lived and traveled all around the world and fell in love with exploring new cultures. Here at On Arrival, we interview some of the world's most eccentric travelers to hear their original and authentic stories. We hope this show inspires you to take your next trip. And that when you land, you have a game plan. On Arrival. Thank you, everyone, for submitting your questions. If you haven't already, you can always go to onarrival.com to ask us your burning travel questions, and we will try to answer them on the show. So our questions today come from Lauren and Jeff. Lauren asked, what is the first thing I should do if my flight is canceled? Jordan, take it away. I didn't prepare for this. Okay. <laughs> well, let's let's give a real life example. Our uh-huh. flight before we went to Aruba, our flight got canceled, and we were flying United. And lucky enough for us, United sent us a text message and said, "Your flight has been canceled. Click this link to look at rebooking options." So the first thing you need to do is read carefully whatever it is that you got, whatever notification you got, to make sure you see all your options that they present you with. Yeah. So I think even before that step, it's a really good idea to sign up for the text notifications about your travel and to download the apps for each of the flight partners that you're going to be flying on. So like I have all of them on my phone. I have Lufthansa, Turkish, Spirit. (laughs) Yeah. Make sure when when you book your ticket, you put your cell phone number in there. They will send you text updates, even if you don't have the app. So that's important. Yeah. Because when that happened for Aruba, my first thought was to like be like oh my gosh our trip is canceled and Jordan's like no 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 like look at the app they gave us like five other options for the day yeah, we had a new flight booked in 30 minutes maybe mm-hmm. but shorter than that I think and then another answer to this question is it reminds me of a personal experience when I was in Germany and I missed my connecting flight to America I was flying from Turkey to Germany and then Germany to Detroit. And it was such an amazing flight because it was short. I didn't have to fly to a different state or a different city before I flew to Detroit. So I was super bummed about it. The first thing that I did was try to find someone at the Lufthansa help desk to help me rebook. So I got in line for that. And then I started looking on the app to see what other flights were available. And then I called Jordan as well. And I had Jordan call Lufthansa and he was on the phone with them and he actually was able to rebook the flight for me and I got on another flight to DC where it was taking off in an hour. Don't panic. Just think of the different solutions that you can do to get on your way. Yeah. And you want to try to rebook as quickly as possible because obviously everybody else is too. Mm -hmm. So you want to definitely try to rebook as quickly as possible. Yeah. Like don't mess around with being upset and crying and breaking down because you need to take action. Yeah. If you can do it on your phone, do it there. But if not, go find somebody, talk to them. Depending on 
how much of a delay you have in your trip, you may also be entitled to compensation and certain rights. It depends on where you're at. And that's a whole nother episode. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> that's next. Once you rebook figuring out how to get reimbursed, compensated, whatever for your time, for your delays. And we'll cover that another time. Next yeah. question. All right. So this one is from Jeff. What is a food you never thought you would eat that you ate? You go first. This question's hard because I don't really have an answer to it, which makes the question hard. You don't eat things that you don't think you will want to eat. Yeah. I know I don't like certain things. Like I don't like raw fish, meat, etc. And I don't want to try them. You had to have them. tried something. Escargot? No, I like that. But did you think you would like it? Did you think you would try it? Yeah, I thought I would. Okay, so she won't touch anything raw, but she's snails, you know, check that one out. That's all good. <laughs> Love me some snails. I also don't like raw stuff. The thing that I ate that I was shocked was actually when we went to the Maldives. And I might have told the story before. So if you heard it before, go ahead and fast forward through it. If not, you want to hear this. This was our trip to the Maldives, which we took after his season in Turkey. And we flew out of Istanbul. We got there and we celebrated our one-year anniversary mm -hmm. in the Maldives. I'd just like to give a shout out before we go any further to my beautiful co-host and wife on what was our three-year anniversary this past week. It was a pleasure mm -hmm. to celebrate with you. It is an absolute privilege to go through life with you. I'm so honored and so happy and just, I don't know. Yeah, I'm you lucky. love me. We I'm lucky. We get it. I'm lucky. But anyways, we're in the Maldives and we decided to have a nice dinner. And now at the Western Maldives, there's three restaurants. There's a beach bar. There's your regular restaurant. And then they have their fancy sushi restaurant. So, of course, you got to go to the fancy sushi restaurant. For your anniversary. Yeah, at least once. So we go there and they know it's our anniversary. But we sit down and we tell them, hey, we don't really like raw food. He must not have understood because five minutes later... He brings out this tray with every single piece of raw sushi they have on their menu and says, compliments of the chef. And the sushi chef is not kidding you. is probably 10 feet away from us behind the bar, the sushi bar. And like, he's got this huge smile on his face and he's like so proud of the work that he just did making this tray, not knowing that neither one of us wants to touch it. Not knowing that I will not touch it. I looked at Jordan and I said, I can't do this. You are going to have to eat this whole thing. You take one for the team. I can't. And my conscience kicked in. I couldn't just leave it there. He put so much work and right. he was so proud it's of it. It's rude to leave it. So. so I had to eat most of it. And it did not convert me to a raw sushi fan. I don't know. Maybe one day. I'll have some smoked salmon every now and again. But that was not the move for me. I was not. I did not enjoy it. The best part was when he got done eating it. And he, I would probably say like three-fourths of the plate. He said, I think I just ate the whole sea. No, every single fish. Every type of fish. I think I had <laughs> one sea. of them funny all right moving on to this week in travel we read an article that the pfizer vaccine as well as the astrazeneca vaccine are effective against the delta variant so the pfizer vaccine is 88 percent effective which i know jordan loves because he has pfizer team pfizer baby and i have moderna and he likes to say that pfizer is better than moderna which I don't think it's very factual. And Clearly, then it is. <laughs> AstraZeneca is 67% effective against the Delta variant. And I'm just waiting to hear how effective the Moderna vaccine is against the variant. So we'll keep you guys updated on that. Well, I like having you around. So I hope it's pretty effective. 
Aww. In other news, now everybody's so excited that Europe is open. Everybody wants to rush off mm-hmm. to France and Italy. And mo- mostly Greece. I'm seeing everyone in Greece. Yeah, they've been open since May, actually. They were one of the first. Mm-hmm. And funny enough, the Eiffel Tower this week opened for the first time in nine months. People wow. are allowed to go up the Eiffel Tower. That's amazing. And for those of you that haven't been to Paris and to the Eiffel Tower yet, just so you know, you can take an elevator. You buy a ticket. You wait in line. You can take an elevator up the Eiffel Tower. There's shops. And then once you get to a certain level, there's like a spiral staircase that you can take to the top, which is like the ultimate view of Paris. You can see the whole city, but there's a catch. You have to show proof of vaccination to go up the Eiffel tower. If you don't have it, you can take an on-site COVID test underneath the Eiffel tower. So wow, how things have changed. <laughs> well, it's a reflection of what's going on in Europe because all across Europe, restrictions are being put in place. Even Why? though they're open to tourists, Why? there's a rise in Delta variant cases throughout Europe. In in France, I read that even simple things like going to the movies or going to a restaurant, you need to show proof of vaccination or proof of a negative COVID test. I think that's great. I think it should be implemented everywhere because, okay, you don't want to get the vaccine. All right, we'll sit here and take a COVID test before you participate. I think that's fair. I mean, I agree. It's in interest of everybody's safety. So, right. you know, you have to agree to some extent, but it's interesting the different standard. Here it's a flight. There it's just about anything you want to do. And the restrictions extend even further in Greece. Mm-hmm. So on July 22nd, Mykonos adds a week-long curfew as cases rise in Greece. So that means from 1 a.m. to 6 a.m., you have to be indoors, apparently. Unless you're working or going to the hospital. And I was thinking, oh, that's not a very strict curfew. But then Jordan said, yeah, but it's Mykonos, you know. They're known for partying and going out and staying out until 5 a.m. So for them, yeah, that's probably a big change. Yeah, it's major. Mykonos is the party place. So it Mm -hmm. affects that for sure. We talked briefly about Canada and when they would reopen. We talked about that on our World Wanderers episode. Mm-hmm. And we celebrated a little bit because there was an announcement that Canada would open on August 9th. Woo, which is my birthday. So I would love to take a trip over to Canada on my birthday. That would be fun. But wait, the U.S. has decided to extend its land. But border. wait, there's more. <laughs> exactly. The U.S. has decided to extend its land border closures with Canada and Mexico until August 21st, due also to a rise in Delta variant cases around the world. So. It may have to wait unless you're flying because you won't be able to drive back. Okay. We'll see what's about to happen next. Anyways, (laughs) in other news, there was a major server outage, which affected who, Jordan? So many travel sites were affected by a major server outage, including Delta Southwest, Airbnb, VRBO, and all of Expedia's websites. So that includes Orbitz and Hotels.com. And what that meant is people were not able to book new travel or change their existing reservations. But the issue has since been resolved and your existing trip should not be affected. It did, however, affect people's ability to use the site to make new travel. That's interesting because maybe we just have good timing, but we are planning another trip. We'll announce the location soon-ish, but we had to change our flights 
due to a scheduling issue just last week on Delta. So I'm happy we didn't collide with the server outage. I think it was this weekend we just did that. So yeah, we we missed it by like a couple of days. So we're lucky. Nice. We're lucky. Yeah. Let's get to the show. We got a good one today. Yes. So exciting. It's all about Italy and more. Yeah. We got a leading Italy expert, somebody we were very excited to have on the show. Mm -hmm. And by the end, you will definitely want to check out his company. So do not miss this one. Today's guest is a serial travel entrepreneur. He's held just about every position imaginable in the tour industry. And his time as a tour guide in Rome inspired him to start his own travel ventures. He now has turned his company, Walks, into one of the biggest independent tour companies in the world by focusing on unique and intimate experiences in what is now 14 cities around the globe and counting. We are excited to have on our show today, Stephen Otto. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for being here. I know this is going to be a difficult question. It always is. We want to start the interview off with asking, what was your most memorable travel experience? It's tough to choose just one, but there's there's one for me that's always stood out. And also the timing of it was pretty influential on on my career. So I, I went and did this big trip with a, one of my very good friends down in Central America. So we went all around for like a month in Central America, then followed by another month in, in South America. But we're in Central America. We were in Costa Rica and Guatemala, and we did a lot of the temples. Uh, you know, I studied archaeology and was really fascinated by you know, ancient history. But we were in Guatemala and we were staying at like a hostel and we were going to go visit Tikal. And we got there kind of in the evening and everybody's talking about getting up super early for this kind of sunrise tour of the, the Tikal temples and, you know, the Mayan temples there. And so, uh, you know, we were like, let's do it. And they're like, how early? And they're like, well, it's like four. <laughs> like uh, this was like 1030. We got it and we're like, oh my God. So that's, that's crazy. And so we did it. We, we got up early and they had took us out in these Jeeps into the jungle and it was pitch black, right? So we had flashlights and kind of hiked out through the, through the trees into the, into nothing. We couldn't see where we were. And then I just remember kind of stepping up step after step following the person in front of me. And we just kind of sat there in the pitch dark. At one point, the animals start going nuts. And all of a sudden, the light, you know, starts to come. The sun starts to rise. You start to see the jungle. You start to notice where you're sitting. You're like on the top of this temple. And then you can start to see the other temples kind of in the the tops of the trees. And, you know, that experience, I think, was was sort of what I was kind of on a high from when I went back to Rome, eventually founding Walks soon after that, which was really meant to be about kind of capturing those exceptional moments in travel. That really is amazing. I mean, we just got back from Aruba and we were deciding between Aruba and Costa Rica. And I'm kind of regretting. For circumstances out of our control, we couldn't be so active. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons why we didn't do Costa Rica. There would be no experiences like that. That right. sounds amazing. Like hiking and stuff. Yeah. And it was sad to find out that they're not able to climb a lot of the temples anymore, like with groups, like what we were, I mean, we had like 30, 40 people sitting up on the temple. I think over time, those are, those are pretty, pretty ancient temples. So, uh, you know, having, having people up there every day, all day, I think they're, they're limiting it now, but you know, it was great to have that experience for sure. Yeah, some wear and tear on that. So, I mean, it's probably good they put a stop to it, but that that really does sound amazing. It seems like the hostel groups are very adventurous. And that might be, if you're looking for adventure, that might be the way to go. Yeah. I like the fact that 
it has really shaped your life. And that's a lot about a lot of the reason why we are here at on arrivals because we want to hear those stories about how travel impacts people in, in these and ways. Shapes them, yeah. So I'm interested to hear about how you got your start in the travel industry. It's been almost 20 years or more than 20 years, I think. Maybe more. Yeah. It depends on how you count. And it's actually a pretty obvious answer that is my family are both in the travel industry. So my, my, my dad's been in travel for most of his life and kind of worked the way up all the way through a hotel chain, a hotel company, and, and ended up running the company for a number of years, held a lot of you know tourism positions in San Diego in the tourism board and, and convention visitors bureau. So, so that, that I kind of came by it honestly in that. And my mom was actually a, a travel industry entrepreneur. She founded a travel agency that got quite large, had a whole online build out during the dot-com era and had a lot of the big contracts, including Price, Price Club back in the day. So there was a lot of, let's say, travel and entrepreneurship and hospitality from very young. <laughs> you inherited that. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> it's genetic. So what was traveling like then growing up? Because I can imagine you guys were all over the place. Yeah, we traveled a lot. My mom, you know, being especially focused on cruises because there was just such a boom of cruising in the 80s and 90s and never really stopped booming, but really exploded then. And so we did a lot of cruises, which uh, is one way to travel. I think part of the experience of cruising is sort of what attracted me to to try to do something on a smaller group scale later on, just because it is so prepackaged and cookie cutter and, and it's hard to really deviate from the preset itineraries and the large group buses that they pick you up on. And and it's just sort of designed that way. Not to say that there aren't operators who do it differently now, which is great to see smaller, more boutique cruise lines and, and river cruises. But growing up around that, we we did a lot of that. We did a lot of US, Caribbean, Hawaii, you know, the stuff that you do from from San Diego. And thankfully got the travel bug on Europe early. And we, you know, did a few trips over there and, and kind of just fell in love with it. I wanted to spend all my time there. So Seriously, that's how we feel. Yeah. <laughs> so you yourself worked for some of the biggest hotel brands in the world, but also worked for five years on the flip side as a tour guide. Not many people have had such a broad experience in the industry. What are some of the things that you appreciated about these two very different roles? Yeah, that's another really great question and love the nuance there. I think they were very complementary, right? I mean, I, I kind of went into hotels because it's what my dad was doing and is what he started out at in college. And so when I went to school, I went to UC Santa Barbara, you know, north of LA. And there's this wonderful resort there. And I immediately applied. And after my first like quarter there, I started working and, you know, did various roles there, mostly in kind of the waiting and it's a room service of banquets, a lot of banquets weddings and so forth, which was a lot of fun. So, you know, it's a great way to earn money and flexible hours. And and that's really what prepared me for getting more into the hospitality approach and, you know, great service. And and I and so that was at a place that was part of the Hilton Hotels, the Fess Parker Resort, which is actually still there. And got to meet Fess a bunch of times. He was amazing actor from back in the day, played Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett. And then, you know, later I worked for, uh, you know, Estancia Hotels and Resorts. And then I worked at Starwood's flagship over there was the West and St. Francis on on Union Square. And so, you know, these different experiences, some of them were were short-lived. I was only at the Westin for less than a year, but really got to live to see how cities and, and these great hotels connect in the experience of the city together. And I was just always really thinking about, well, what's the next thing I want to do? And leaving the Westin is what really prompted me to go back to Rome because I had I'd taken a hiatus and moved to San Francisco and wanted to 
to try to go back maybe into restaurants or something. Wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but then being there and, and meeting people and, and exploring the city, I realized that touring was what I wanted to do. So I went back to Rome. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We love the Westin. <laughs> yeah, we, we love a good Westin. <laughs> Still a great place to go. Yeah. I, I've stayed really there numerous is. times since then. Yeah. <laughs> we got married at a Westin and then we, we, we went to the Westin Mal- Maldives. Which was, yeah. Oh my God. We highly yeah, recommend I about it. <laughs> and it was like the newest resort. The newest resort. Yeah, at the time. So it I was think, really fun. I think now the St. Regis or something. Yeah. JW is another one has the underwater uh, restaurant that's, that's really famous too. She's not going to that restaurant. I no, I was that. watching like, I don't know if it's Shark Week or it's, it's something right Week. now. And so I was just watching a bunch of like attack shows last night. So I would never do that. Like the underwater hotel room experience, not for me, not even the restaurant thing, but some people it's their thing. Well, I live here in Cape Cod and we have all the great white sharks. In fact, Jaws was based on this area. So yeah, it's a little nerve wracking when you go to the beach every day with your daughter and she played in the water. You're just like, is today going to be the day? Well, whatever you do, <laughs> do not turn on whatever she was watching yesterday. Yeah, it was just. I like don't think I'll get her. Geographic. I don't think I'll get her back in the ocean ever again. <laughs> so you're back in Rome. You're a tour guide, and I'm sure for a while you were loving just the experience. What prompted you to say, I want to make this bigger? Like, I want to start something. I want to make a company out of this. Yeah. I mean, actually, that that had been the intention. Like, when I got back, so I, I had guided a bit in uh, 2005 and six, And when I got back to Rome, I was actually going back to start a company of some kind. I didn't know what kind of group it was going to be. If it was going to be a private group, it was just going to be me. And, you know, I was kind of running some tours, mostly around the Vatican, and eventually, you know, by leading a lot of tours there, met a number of people, we set up an agency where I would continue to leave tours, but uh, there would be other people. We'd had salespeople. And and once that kind of started to grow, I definitely knew I wanted to keep doing something in tours, but I definitely, I had bigger ambitions, you know, from the get-go. But but yeah, so, you know, I was guiding and I love guiding, but it, it wasn't really my passion. It was kind of something of like, I really enjoyed learning about the material and sharing it with others. But you know, day in, day out, guiding is hard. And it takes a particular type of person who really loves people, who wants to be out there meeting different people every day. And I don't have that skill. I mean, I I, I was able to do it for a while and, and enjoyed a lot of that. But for me, it was more about the business side and technology is, as I've always been a kind of a leader in, in developing various technologies in the space and even, even years before. So that was where I, I really wanted to land. I wanted to be able to develop technology to help the experience of guiding and booking and, and kind of running a tour operation in a new way. And so that was even from the very beginning when we started in Rome, Rome was just where I happened to be, but the intention was always to kind of launch it everywhere. Yeah. I have a question about that. Like what made you so comfortable in Rome? Were you fluent in the language or you knew the area really well? You vacationed there a lot. What was it that made you start there? It was kind of coincidence, really. I mean, it was a random. I had hung out with this Italian friend that I met in California, and he invited me to come visit out there. And, you know, I'd finished school, really was excited to kind of go and get back to Europe again, because as I said, I, I loved the ancient history and, and art history and, and so forth. And so I kind of just happened to go back there, floated around, did the backpacking thing for a while. But I, I just kept going back to Rome as a home base. I loved it there. And yes, also partly familiar origin. So my, my last name, Oddo, is actually Italian, even though we, we call Otto. In Italy, it's Oddo. And there's, you know, a famous Italian soccer player who played in the World Cup in 2006 when they won. 
Massimo Oddo. So yeah, there, there's some of that. There's the you know history of my grandfather and his family coming over, and that was part of it. You know, some interest there, and then you know just the beauty of the city. So when I when I, I grew up speaking Spanish, when I went there, I, I learned Italian pretty quickly. Like I was I was speaking more or less fluently after a year, and just got better and better as I stayed longer and longer. So I kind of just fell in love with the culture, the mindset. Rome is a very special place i think yeah it's easy to do there it's really easy to yeah, do there no <laughs> maviglia over here completely can relate to in america maviglia yeah. so yeah <laughs> kind of, same kind of thing i get it yeah yeah italy for me it was my first time overseas you know i flew over to visit jordan he was playing for virtus roma the basketball team there and it was just like the most amazing thing to me. Rome will always have a special place in my heart and I can't wait to get back to Italy. I mean, I feel like when we were in Rome, we did like, he had a vehicle there. So we drove like the coast, we went to Naples and where else did we go? Positano. Yes. And what is the city? Pompeii. Pompeii. Yeah. yeah. That was just like, it's ingrained in my mind. Yeah. We went to Florence, Firenze, you know, we're moving a little bit, but you know, we lived there for a year. You lived there for eight years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like what are some of the things that you love most about Rome? Cause you can sense it that there, you have a special feeling about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it leaves a mark on anybody that spends a lot of time there, even just a little time there. But you know, even like you were telling me earlier, you know, you guys love to go and just grab espressos everywhere you go. Cause it's part of the culture you pick up there and it's hard to drop it, you know, and that's sort of what it is. You know, living there over the years, you just kind of learn to appreciate the the freedom of being able to go and, you know, just have a day trip somewhere. Like you just said, going down to Positano or Naples. And one of Naples, one of my favorite cities in the world. I went there, you know, just it was a random day. I decided to go to Naples on the train. You know, I, I loved having a, a scooter. I had a scooter for most of the time I was there, a little motorino. And, you know, I, it, yeah, people say, oh, it's dangerous to drive the streets. I mean, I can see that, but if you kind of know what you're doing, you can get around pretty great that way, and it's it's ideal, and it's the main method of transportation there. So, you know, that was always, I think, one of my favorite things. And actually, just funnily enough, we were just talking the other day about potentially getting another Vespa here, getting a Vespa here. We're moving back to Boston, and it might be a, a good city to have a Vespa. And so, because, you know, I think, I think my wife knows that uh, I loved having it, and, you know, while it does make her nervous to see me running around on it, but, you know, that, that's the kind of thing. I mean, it's just, you know, the, the great long lunches, the, you know, seaside. I mean, come on, love, Romans love going to the seaside and just having some of the best seafood. And, like, the wine is amazing everywhere you go, but it's not, like, stuffy or expensive. It's just, like, always good. It's always there. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's different from France. I love France, too. But it's, a you know, the, the, the Italian and especially the Roman way is, I think, very much more relaxed, laid back, you know, accessible. And I love that about it. Hearing your story about the scooter, like transported me back to like <laughs> yeah. being in traffic in Rome. And and you're right. I think like we still embrace a lot of the mentality from that first year. I was definitely when I started drinking coffee, but the long lunches, the long dinners. I mean, the that, way of life yeah. just in general. Yeah. And I remember when we, we were there, Jordan's like, oh, this is why you're such a bad driver because you're Italian <laughs> and all the Italian drivers are horrible. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, but yeah, I feel like if you can drive a Vespa in, in Rome, you can definitely drive it in Boston. So no worries there. <laughs> yeah, no, they're more aggressive. It's just a different kind of driver, especially if you drive, like you were talking about driving a car down in Naples like yeah it's nerve-wracking it's not like what i mean certain parts maybe driving in jersey or something is kind of like that but they really are aggressive there and and it's i mean they, they know what they're doing and i would say they're they're like 
careful in many ways, but yeah, the, the whole just approach of aggressive driving is, is intense for the average <laughs> right. like American driver, I think. Right. Yeah. So you were in Rome and then you got the confidence to start expanding to other Italian cities and quickly it seemed like it happened. Tell us about that process for walks. Yeah, well, I mean, our original kind of founding thesis was, hey, let's get great tour guides. Let's build a network of tour guides. Let's make it really easy for them to to work and have a very seamless way uh, of interacting with them and booking them and, and kind of making sure that the best guides are getting our top clients. And our customers were really demanding to go more places. And, you know, we, we were getting the requests. We said, let's try to fulfill everything we, we get requested, which is not necessarily what you want to do as an entrepreneur. It's not like good advice to give to someone trying to start a business. Like don't just do everything your customers ask. But in this case, because we were building the network anyway, and because we wanted to have access to attractions and access to the top tour guides in in as many places that made sense, we kind of knew that was going to take us to Pompeii and Florence and Venice and Milan. So that was sort of the natural progression of things that the places that people were going for the most part. And look, we weren't trying to do tours in every small town. You know, it's not really, there are businesses who do that and there are guides who are fabulous in every small town, but this was a business more about reaching the most people and reaching people where they're going. That's why we ended up going to places like Paris, New York, and Istanbul later. You know, these are major destinations where Millions of customers are passing through international customers, which allows us to create more product differentiation, which is just not necessary or possible in a small town, right? You're not going to get the demand to require so many different types of products. So that that is really just a business model approach that we have. I wish we knew about walks before. We've been lucky enough to live in two of those cities too, Istanbul and Paris. So. Oh, you were in Istanbul too. Yeah, the, the the basketball there is awesome too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Man, that's cool. Yeah, we were there two years in Turkey and we yeah. just loved it. We lived it. in Istanbul and Izmir. Which years? We were in Turkey 2018 and 19. Yeah. Oh, wow. So recently. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, we were. In 2020, yeah. Oh my gosh. So yeah, we were starting up walks of, uh, it was called initially walks of Turkey and that was back in 2014 and 15 and it started really well. We were immediately doing uh, great numbers, but you know, there were a few attacks in the city that year and then there was the coup attempt and then there was just a number of things that happened. And for the city, I, I mean, I went back, I went back every time. In fact, I went back after one of the attacks, right after there was a bomb right by our, our, our meeting point. I mean, just horrible things. But, you know, after the coup, tourism really froze up there. And, and we actually had to pull out eventually. It was just Americans weren't going there anymore. Still a wonderful city. I'd go back every day of the week. But I think it's going to take some time for it to to recover from just the number of things that happened in, in rapid succession there. But, yeah, I mean, love that place. That was one of the next places we expanded after we went outside of Italy. So I moved back to the States, but started to coordinate more of, you know, the network that was going beyond Italy. We started a big office in Austin where we put our uh, developers and our our guest experience call center folks and, you know, really just started to build out uh, some headquarters there. Okay. So walks, when people hear the name, they might think that it's specifically a walking tour company. Can you explain the scope of experiences that Walks offers? You guys ask really good questions. You know, I've, I can't tell you how many people 
I've done podcasts or various interviews and they always say like, so walks, you only do walking tours because your name is walks. And like <laughs> literally the first people to say, what is actually the scope? Because it's not, yeah, that's a great question. So the idea of walks was really, yes, it was initially walking tours, but it was more about slow travel, about, you know, the idea and the feeling you get when you take a walk through a city and being more conscientious, more mindful. And in, in the, you know, a lot of the the language we used of like, see the city from the ground level, like get off of the bus. And so all our products involve some kind of a walk and an encounter with an artisan or a local or, or something. So, you know, you're never sitting on the bus getting pointed out of windows. You may have a bus or a train or a boat, but we get off and stop in, in unique places. You guys mentioned earlier Pompeii and Paul Zitano. One of our top selling tours for many years has been the Pompeii Positano experience, which when we started it, you know, it, it wasn't really reinventing the wheel, but in a way it was because all the tours at the time were just big charter buses taking people from Rome to Pompeii, dropping them off. And it was like 50 bucks. You know, this was a much more involved experience. We went to Positano. We stopped for panoramic shots on the Amalfi Coast. We went to a little uh, Limoncello vineyard. I mean, these kinds of things that, you know, you could really get out and, and see more. And because we use smaller vehicles, you could actually get to some of those little towns that you can't get on a charter bus. So by having that aspect to it, uh, I think that's really what makes the difference in, in creating a, you know, a really great tour and a great experience for the guests. But yeah, so we do all of those things. It's hundreds of products over the years, everything from buses and boats and trains and you name it. But it's really about experiences and the walks are part of that, but not only on foot. I'm trying to imagine driving a bus down the Amalfi Coast. I mean, you see it happen. (laughs) They're professionals. Oh, man. (laughs) Well, you get those those tall buses that they have, the city buses, and it's like cheap to go on the Amalfi Coast, but it's so stressful because the, the 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 cliff is right there. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, you feel like you're trying to dip it a little bit, but uh, I mean, those guys they drive really well. But yeah, I feel like it's it's uh, for us the experiences can be anything, but you know, our hashtag, our mantra, take walks. It's really about don't just take any tour, take walks. Just do something a little more off the beaten path, a little more in depth, go one step further. And what I like about that is, you know, we kind of even mentioned it on our last trip in Aruba. It's like, hey, we might not ever come back here. So why not get a full embodied experience of where you're going? And I think with walks, you can get that. You're not just going to be, like you said, looking out the windows. You're going to be experiencing things and having these like exclusive experiences. You know, you can't get when you go to TripAdvisor. No shade to trip. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> in fact, we do partner with them and some of our stuff, uh, you know, is, is, is sold there. So, uh, but it is hard. It is a lot of stuff there. And, and that's, that's the difficulty, right? When we're by being an operator who is intentionally designing products that are high quality, you don't have to worry about noise. There is no noise. It's like, if it's on there, it's good. You know, whereas a trip advisor is a marketplace, everything's on there. So not everything is there. good. It's not possible, which is a different a different need, right? Sometimes you need to look through everything to figure out what the best things are. Or sometimes you just want to know, tell me where the good stuff is. <laughs> yeah. Right. So tell us about one of your favorite experiences that Walks offers. Well, it's a good question because we actually just launched a brand new one, right? So, you know, we got our start in the Vatican and in Rome and the Colosseum and those kinds of special experiences that they offer and that we offer there. And many of them, which we designed ourselves for the first time that that hadn't been 
available for. So we have a, a new tour that is just launching. It's called the Key Masters Tour. And essentially, it's a Sistine Chapel super VIP tour, but it's not crazy, impossible, out of reach. Like one thing for us that's important is to be accessible so that really everyone could go on this if that's something that they wanted to do. So we have different levels of of Vatican tours, we have different levels of Colosseum tours. Some are more expensive, but nothing's like thousands of dollars, right? We don't like that wouldn't make sense. So we the Keymasters tour is the earliest way you can get into the Vatican and you go to the Sistine Chapel with the Keymaster who brings out what they call a mazzetto, which is basically like a giant chain of keys from hundreds of years old to today. And they uh, unlock the doors of the museum and turn on the lights one by one. It starts at 6 a.m., right? So you're really there waking up the museum. And then you go into the Sistine Chapel. You're the first ones in there. The lights turn on while you're in there. So that tour is literally going online today. And it's going to run. And they haven't. They actually shut down all types of these kinds of tours over the pandemic. But this will be the first one coming back. And it starts this weekend. So we'll be running that on Saturdays for the next, uh, through the end of the year. That's the kind of stuff we love to do. Exclusive, special access, the best guides, you know, stuff that that really will take the general experience, which is often not as good. I mean, there's no question that, you know, being on a group of 100 people getting off a cruise ship and humbling through the museums in a giant, you know, herd is just not the best way to see it. You'll still see the thing, but there's levels of, of ways to see things. And I think we try to design stuff that is really that when you can say, yeah, I've, I've heard about how other people do it, but I did it the best way. Wow. I mean, that's one of the coolest tours I've probably, <laughs> probably heard about, to be honest. Yeah, I would love to go when we go back. Remember what happened last time? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Seriously. This is why you take walks. Exactly why. So you don't have to hear that. <laughs> Everybody's had that experience, you know, like wherever, whether it's there or whether it's at the Statue of Liberty, whether it's, you know, there, there's tons of examples around the world. You know, the Eiffel Tower, you, you can have these super touristy experiences, but you still see the thing or you can look for something that'll really uh, get magical. So last question as it pertains to walks, the pandemic where it seems we're on the backside of it and you guys have had a really successful run so far, how big can walks get and like what's next for walks? The question of today really is, you know, how quickly can we recover? We're nowhere near where we would like to be and nowhere near 2019. Let's say the U.S. is certainly recovering faster. Our New York, San Francisco tours, we're opening up more cities in the U.S. So we'll be open in Boston, San Diego, and Chicago in the next month, within the next 30 days. But obviously our core and our main focus has always been on Europe and and the major cities there. And we're largely servicing an American audience. So it's going to take a while for us to fully recover. But yeah, I mean, we want to be everywhere. Let's just, let's be honest. And, And now with our new partners at, at City Experiences, which is was previously the Hornblower Group, they are really looking to to grow their land based excursions and experiences, and and we're leading the charge. So with their uh, you know blessing, we've been expanding, we've been growing, and really that was my my hope to to come back out of this and really start building again. Because the last thing I wanted to do was go back in time five years and and start like from that point. I'd rather just keep doing what we were doing and, and build up. So that's that's what we're getting to do now. Yeah. Yeah. And just a PSA, you can follow. I know you'll plug it at the end, but Walks Tours. I've been following your Instagram page and it's really one took me back to Italy and made me really anxious to go back. And two, it's exciting to see, like I think you guys announced today, 
the Boston tour. So it's exciting to see like when you guys add something new. So I've been following you guys for just a few weeks, but thanks for that. Yeah. She's been walking around the, walking around the house. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to be able to walk out my house in Boston and see one of our tours, which has been oh, yeah, you know, that would be I, cool. I, I get to see both Boston and San Diego come to life, places that I've lived. San Francisco, obviously, I live there. We have tours there. We run the Alcatraz tour as well. So that's, you know, obviously a big bucket list for a lot of people, but it's time to get back to Europe. So I got to plug Europe. You know, that's that's where we want you to be. We want we know that, you know, going to travel in the U.S., you can do it all the time. But Europe is open. I was just in Italy last 10 days ago, and I'm, I'm heading back to France in two weeks. Yeah, we saw that. You took the new Delta plane to Italy. That's right. The new flight, I was like the second person on the new Delta experience where you actually didn't need to have your tests and all of that. You could just go with your vaccination card. And then you did need to test on the way back. But it was super easy. Honestly, it was even easier than some of the pre-pandemic travel because of how crowded things could be at the airports and, and chaos. It was actually quite nice to go back there. And, and people were so happy. You know, I'm, I, let's say the average person in Italy pre-pandemic was maybe a little bit, you know, kind of tired of, of tourism or, or could seem like there were times where there was just a little too much tourism, especially in places like Rome and Venice. I think the appreciation has come back, which has made it even better. So great time to go when things are quieter, when people are eager to see tourists again. And, I, you know, not to say that they don't, aren't eager to see tourists before, there are a lot of, especially tour guides, right? Like that's why we work with guides. They're always eager to see tourists and certainly eager to see them now. So I, I think that's a really just a testament to being a great time to go back and, and, and explore again. Yeah. I feel like if you're traveling close to America, you might really experience those booms of travel where if you're going to Europe, I think people might be a little more hesitant. So this might be the perfect time to get that personalized experiences, smaller groups with walk tours, you know, really yeah. take advantage of that. Too bad you guys don't have a walks Hawaii. You guys could do great business right now. Uh, I you know, I wouldn't say <laughs> it be too, too long before we get there. I think we'll get there soon. There's lots of great things you could do there. I mean, especially, you, you know, describing the stuff I'm describing, right? Like there's a lot of very redundant touristy sort of experiences there. And there isn't really a lot of of differentiation, right? And that's what we come in and do. We look at the market and say, hey, yeah, there's 50 luau's, but like, is there anything authentic? Can we find one? Can we make one? Can we do a make your own luau with some real people who used to be part of those luau's but left? You know, find a new angle. And that's, you know, I've been to Hawaii a bunch of times, so I can talk about that. But I mean, I, I agree that like, you know, there's a lot of places that could really use this approach. And, and we're seeing it more and more, right? I think I think more and more people and companies are are coming up trying to do that. We're just trying to bring it all together in one place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. All right. So let's take it back to Europe. Take it back to Italy for a second. If you had to recommend one city for people to visit in Italy, what would it be? It's such a tough one. I mean, I'm very passionate about Venice and why I like it. Uh, and let's say, you know, I'm not going to let you say, say one city. I'm going to say two cities. Okay. Because they're very different. And, and I like the, the controversial places, right? So Venice and Naples. And I think if you ask the average person, what do they think about Naples? What do they think about Venice? You're going to hear a lot of different things in the U.S. especially. And, and I spend a lot of time in these places. But I think there's something magical and authentic about them that you can't really replicate that, that won't be there forever, which makes them even more important to visit. 
And yes, it is hard. It's hard to do Venice well, especially your first time. I mean, my first time there was a total disaster. But it, so, you know, it, and that's what makes it great, you know, because I think, well, you know, yeah, you can have a great experience in Florence every single time you go. It's quite easy to have a good experience there because it's so compact. It's easy to walk around. There's almost every restaurant's good. Everybody's nice. I mean, it's it's great. But, you know, I like I like when you have to work a little bit for it. And with Venice and the boats and the alleyways and bridges and, you know, it's a real complicated place to find what you're looking for. But if you do, and again, tour guides and, and again, well-designed experiences can really do that, you know, you can have an incredible experience there and it may become your favorite place, you know. So I'd say give Venice a chance to be your favorite place, even though, yeah, is it too crowded? Okay, well, then don't go, you know, June 30th, you know, go in the fall, go in the, you know, early spring when it's, you know, there's hardly anybody there. There's not going to be that many people there now. I'll let you know because I'm going in three weeks. And the same goes for Naples. It's, you know, you might have heard stories. It's super dangerous in Naples. Listen, it's more dangerous in the average American city than it is in Naples. It is uh, a safe and wonderful city. Yeah, there was some, there was a bad period, but it's really cleaned up. And I'd say it's definitely one of my favorite places to go. Best food in the world, you know, some of the best sightseeing and museums and some of the best ancient places to visit. Uh, obviously, you mentioned Pompeii, there's Herculaneum, there's Oplantis, there's a number of others. So, you know, I think as a place that really delivers, Naples for me is, is maybe number one. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I go back what? and forth. Wow. <laughs> for Italy, for me, it's, it's you know, and I've lived a lot of places in Europe and I've, I've uh, spent, you know, that's well, a hot not take. this time in, in Rome, but also spent uh, a, a full winter season in the north, up in Valle d'Aosta, by the Matterhorn on the on the Italian side of the of the glacier. And going from the top to bottom, I'd say those are places that you should put on your list. That you should get a great guide to take you around and show you the best places. And you know, do your research, read the blogs, listen to podcasts, <laughs> and that'll be the way to go. I have a question about Venice walks. Can you tell me about one of the tours or experiences you guys offer in Venice? Just because I've been so many times, I would be interested. Obviously, the the kind of the standard stuff that you want to see, we do it really well on the Doge's Palace and the, the seeing the Rialto Bridge and so forth. But I'll tell you two things really quickly that really stand out. And we were really the ones to bring to the public for the first time the exclusive tour of the after hours of St. Mark's Basilica, which is really the, uh, they opened the church just for the group and all the lights are off all day, all night, the lights are off except for during these tours. So they take you in and it's all dimly lit and they turn on the lights while you're in there and you can see the illuminated mosaics, which you can't really see as well during the day because of the lighting in there being pretty poor, but they don't run them in the daytime. So you get this incredible glittering, illuminated golden ceiling of the Byzantine mosaics there. So that's that's a truly exceptional one. And we have another one, which is a boat ride. I don't know that it's back on sale just yet, but it's coming back. And that's a, a wine and food experience out on the islands. It's basically an islands experience, which is, again, you'll find a lot of them that are 50, 60 bucks. But what you're finding is mostly the glass factories and, and uh, some of these shops are subsidizing the boats so that they can bring and drop off groups of people there. And the experience is just not good. And we tried for years to find somebody who would do it right. And we just couldn't get it to it. So we actually shut down those tours for a long time. And then finally, you know, I just kind of push and push. We've got to do it right. And we found some incredible venues, a, a really small producer of glass that has a, that kind of restored this cathedral. And so it's not the actual glass factory. They're bringing these 
pieces there and, and into this incredible space. And so it's kind of the glass cathedral of Murano. So we take our guests there and then we go over to this island called Mazzorbo where they grow a very, very rare grape called the Dorona. And that is at a Michelin-starred restaurant that's on the property, as well as the uh, the winemaker. And you meet the winemaker, and you know he's been written up in everything. Super, super incredible wine. You've never tasted anything like it uh, because he, the, the grapes have to grow at like six inches from the water table, so the, the uh, roots are like flat like this, and it soaks up some of the salt flavor. So very, very interesting stuff. So you go there and then you go check out uh, this ancient basilica. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's stuff like that out there in the islands and most people don't find it. But, you know, that's what we try to do. We try to go find it and make it accessible, make it something that you can easily book and know that you're going to get a great guide. And, and that's what I love to do. I did want to just comment on one thing you said. I love that you said if we can't do it right, we're not going to do it. I have that mentality about so many things in life. And I think it's so important and it speaks to you and your company that if you're not going to be able to be the best at it, you don't want any part in it. And I think that's cool. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, leave the people who want to do the, you know, the mass market stuff. There's always going to be demand for that. But if you can make it special, then, you know, I think that's what makes it worth doing. But uh, otherwise, we're happy to wait and find something, something that'll deliver. But yeah, I I think, you know, hey, look, these are great places to go. You're going to always have a great time. You know, it's not about comparing who did the better this or that. But I think you've got to really be intentional about what you're trying to do as a as an operator, as an experienced creator. And we, we like to say we, we intelligently design these tours. We don't just put up what the other people sell. And so I think that's the difference is that, yeah, if you were running a Louvre tour, could you just take people through and show them the three famous things that they know and then end the tour after 90 minutes? That's what 75% of the operators do. We could do that too, but we just, we couldn't, it just wouldn't do it justice. We just, we couldn't but bring ourselves to, to kind of, you know, shortchange it like that. Honestly, it's been a pleasure to hear all these stories and hear about walks today. And, you know, we're so happy that you were able to join us. Oh, my pleasure. Before we go, I want to help our listeners. KT plugged it earlier, but tell everyone where they can follow walks. And if you want, you know, your own personal, where can they follow your adventures? Yeah, so uh, we're at Walks Tours on Instagram. We're on YouTube. You can find Walks of Italy or Walks Tours pretty much anywhere. Facebook or Walks Tours. I'm personally at Travel VR. It's just like Traveler, but spelled with with VR. Mostly because it's like I was really into and still am. Done a lot of work in the the virtual reality world and creating a lot of 3D videos, 360 videos and things like that. So that's why my my Instagram handle is that. But yeah, I've really had a great time joining you guys here. We're also very active on Twitter, by the way. At Walks is actually us. And I'm at Stephen Otto on Twitter. So yeah, you can find us there. Follow our stuff. We've posted lots of videos, lots of stuff from live on location. Sometimes I'm even posting or guides are posting. You can watch our, our tours running in different cities around the world and get excited about your next trip. Amazing. Well, we're excited. We're excited to book a tour with you in the future as well. So thanks so much. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to another episode of On Arrival. We've had so much fun recording these episodes and sharing them with you every week. If you like this episode, share it with somebody. And don't forget to subscribe to our show, On Arrival Podcast, on all podcast platforms. We would really appreciate it if you would write us a positive review wherever you choose to listen. And look for us on social media at On Arrival Travel on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you're looking for more episodes, you can always head over to onarrival.com.